Hello, this is the Exiting Your Echo Chamber podcast where we learn how to be in the world but not of the world. We also try to understand how we can navigate the various worldviews that are available so that you would give the reason for the faith that we have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another moment you've given to us. Even as we get to learn how to engage seemingly competitive and other strange ideas that are all over the place. You're asking that you give us grace. May your wisdom abound in our conversation and we are trusting you, O oh God, to be able to win the world for you because we bring every thought and every argument under the subjection of Christ in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yes, after having a discussion last week about truth and all that, one idea that came to mind was worldview, right? And I felt um, when we use um, religion, that is when the sciences try to evade scrutiny. But when we use the term worldview, it kind of captures a lot more. So I want to find out from us, I mean, have you come across this term and what are our thoughts on worldview? What, what do we understand by that? And do you think it best represents what we are trying to, I mean, achieve instead of the use of religion, which in my estimation, um, what do you call it? It captures just a fraction and yeah. So I can give it a go first and you take it from there. Yeah, so the whole worldview um, thing, have you come across is what are your thoughts? What's the worldview to you? And do you think it captures the broader um, argument, the broader scope, what we've been discussing so far? Okay, so, um, yeah, I think I have come across the idea of worldview. And generally, I, from my understanding, I think a worldview is the basic perspective from which you view things. How you understand how you process information. And um, I think I mentioned it's basically the lens through which you view the world. So if you are wearing a certain color of lens, or let's say you are in a car and the glasses are tinted, probably how you see things outside will be different from somebody that's just looking at it with their own eyes. And even it's interesting when we all see something, let's say an object, there's one thing that everybody seems to take note of, which other people probably do not see. And that's just our worldview or our perspectives at play. Thank you. Yeah, worldview is our perspective at play. Um, Kampa, we can even give it a go and also maybe extend to whether objectivity and worldviews, how some of these things come into play in relation to truth that we discussed as we proceed to look at how to engage other competing ideas. Okay, all right, sure. So, yeah, I think that, for me to hold out about your worldview is, as I said, the lens through which you view the world or how you see the world and everything around us. And it's borders around answering some of the questions of life. And so, like, questions like, why are we here? How did we get here? What's our purpose here? And so your worldview should give you a sort of answer or should guide you in answering some of these questions. And um, if you are thinking your worldview, you should also affect how you live. How why you do the things you do, like why are you doing this? What's the reason for you for, for you doing this? Um, why are you giving expending energy on something like this? I think that the world you also comes into play um, along that line. But I think I'll just uh, pick up something that Robert said, and um, she mentioned perspective. For instance, someone is in a vehicle with a tinted window, and then how you see the outside the window is different from someone who is just looking outside, right? But I think that. Um, is different from a worldview differs from a perspective. So, for instance, like if you have a perspective on something, you just admit there's a, a same, there's one issue, but we are all looking at the issue from different angles, right? And so, I think that a worldview differs from like a mere perspective, or the worldview is broader than that. It borders around truth, as you um, asking the question, and you ask about objectivity as well. And so, if you have a worldview. They are going to tend to judge everything that happens around you through the lens of that worldview. You are going to filter everything through that worldview. Anything that happens, I'm going to try to find a way to make sure that um, your worldview can answer the question of whatever happens in this life. And so it, it becomes um, a bit problematic. For instance, if you say that a worldview is, that's why I don't like analogy. Some of the analogies can bring out the point, but if you look like a worldview is like if your lens you're wearing, if you're wearing like a green lens, then you're going to see everything like, of color green, but then there's an actual color of whatever you're looking at, which may not be green, but because of your the lens you're wearing, they assume it as green. So that would mean that like a worldview is um something that uh, how do I say it is sort of external. 
It doesn't really allow you to look at things the way they really are, but it's just a way of you. It doesn't allow you to look at things for how they really are, but you are just judging everything through your worldview. I don't think that's what a worldview is necessarily. A worldview is looking at everything that happens in life or everything that happens around you. And then your worldview should be able to answer the questions around that and it should be able to give you meaningful answers to that. And so if um, you have a certain worldview and you're judging everything to that worldview, you could be very wrong. You could be very wrong on that one. But then the truth also, um, I'm losing my thought of it. I'm, really, I'm talking too much. I'm just going in a certain direction. How I'm trying to say is that if you have a worldview, this is the truth, and then you have a worldview, you're looking at the truth. Now, is your worldview going to distort the truth you are looking at? Or you are going to try to make sure that um, your worldview can move the truth in a certain way that it wouldn't conflict with your worldview, right? And so if, if you are doing something like that, then you're not really being true to, um, you're not really being truthful or honest as an individual. But then when you look at every situation and look at the truth, the worldview should be able to give you meaningful answers, even though sometimes you cannot answer fully everything that you see. I should be able to give you some sort of meaningful answers um, to whatever you're looking at. I don't, I don't know if that's okay because I lost my perspective along the line. Yeah, that's fine. Ara, you want to make any comments on conference submission? Um, well, um, I'm thinking that, so we, we, I think we already said that the worldview is the lens through which we view things. And he's saying that, well, if you, you have that, let's say maybe green lens, then it means you are going to try to, one, it means that you're not going to see things for what they really are. And two, it means that you are going to try to align everything to how you view things. I think that's where the whole idea of um, truth comes in. And we are thinking that, okay, so maybe there's a particular worldview that is the truth that um, we, we want to go with. I don't know if I'm, I'm making sense. I think that's why we are we are doing this exploration in the first place. We are trying to identify whether there are certain things that we have known which we may not necessarily be what the things truly look like. Because if I have green glasses, I'm I'm going to see the green things right, but I'm probably going to see the blue things differently or the yellow things differently. And then um yeah, basically so I think in a way I'm agreeing with him but i'm saying that so that's why this conversation is important and that is how come it's also important to look beyond how you've seen things all the time and understand that there's a real color to things and you want to and that's the truth that we all want to try and discover thank you yeah that's a beautiful submission i remember i mean one of our passives i was trying to explore the idea of whether there's a tabla rasa in the first place but I think you showed that um, the idea was, as the politicians would say, was dead on arrival. Because it's like everyone comes from a place where they have an informed view about something in generally. So we are, today's focus will be on engaging competing ideas. So in the first place, we've been, I mean, from our conversation so far, we've been exploring the whole idea of um, now we have people are looking at things, are looking at the same thing, right? But with different lenses, and in 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 this case, um, in in this case, if we find that well, they are looking at basically the same thing, but because of their lenses, they are let's say giving a, a different description for us. Do we first of all, to I mean, I want us to see whether there's any justification in the idea of looking at other stuff as competing. Do we? see these things as competing is it a, a best way to frame it because they are basically looking at the same thing do you want to say they are competing is this the best way to go about i mean to to conceptualize it here that's the point i want to make here is this the best way to conceptualize other ideas that come as being competing anyone which really can give it a go then the next person can follow okay um i'm thinking that probably you are using the word competing loosely to say that um, maybe these are different views about the same thing, not um, competing as in, well, they are, <laughs> okay, well, it's a thought. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, as I, I answer, I feel that, well, you could say that they are competing because, well, one will be trying to say, I mean, still going with the green lens thing, then somebody that's looking at something, I don't, I'm not very good with color combinations and the like, but I'm thinking if you're looking at something yellow from the green lens, it's going to have a different color. 
And somebody with the blue looking at yellow is probably going to see it green or something. So we will say that this thing is, a, I mean, one object, but everybody has a different color that they are saying it is. But normally then it shouldn't be competing because we should start from the perspective that, okay, we acknowledge that we have different lenses. So probably the colors are going to be different. How about we go deeper and try to find what truly is the color? I mean, regardless, whatever lens we are, we are looking at it through, at the objects through, what truly is the color of the object that we are looking at? And in that way, we will not see that we are competing. It would be more of, okay, this is what I see, this is what you see, but we want to find the true color. We want to go further and discover what this thing truly is. And we would not be competing. Maybe we can be collaborating to find what the true color is. I don't know if I'm, I'm making some sense. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, collaboration is very good. Comfort can come in. I mean, and if you have, want to pick off any point about me, you are free to do so. Yeah, sure. So I think that from here, I'll, I'll take it from this angle that what's the purpose of a worldview, right? So I think that for me, the purpose of a worldview should be able to guide you on as to how to live your life. And then I think that person, I think that the worldview that I have, if everybody else had that worldview and live their life according to that worldview, then the world would be much, would be a much better place. would have far fewer problems in our society than we actually have. And so in that sense, I think that worldviews are competing in a way because somebody else also with another worldview would probably also think that if everybody else had their worldview, then the society or life would be much better generally. Like our societies would be better, would have um, good things, everything would flourish. And so that is, that's the same way that I also think that if everybody subscribes to my worldview, then our society will be a much better place than having people believe you know, differently from I do, from how I do. And so in that sense, I do think that worldviews are, whether they like it or not, competing. Hmm, interesting. So it's basically all of us are on the market. I mean, this this brings a, a very deeper question. So Kwanfa, are we saying that, okay, I mean, there's a truth component that we, we, we all want to get to, right? So maybe my yeah. question is moot, but we are getting the impression that, I mean, regardless, if all of us align to... I mean, I remember that we have echo chambers um, the, where we, we built our, um, as the foundation for this discussion, right? And these things, these ideas kind of tie together. So I, can we safely say that, well, at the end of the day, if we are able to uh, mandate that we, all of us, subscribe to a, a single and a particular worldview, then we will be good as a people, as, 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 um, as human beings. <laughs> I think if, if it were that easy, <laughs> it would be a good idea. <laughs> but I think that human beings, um, you know, God made us free creatures. And so um, we, have, we have the right to choose whichever, um, wherever we want to be. And so if someone is trying to uh, mandate uh, a particular worldview, why, why are you doing that in the first place? If your worldview is strong enough to be able to convince people that this is the truth and this is how they should live their lives, I don't think you need to mandate it. Only mandate is when you think that people would go, you know, contrary to it. And that if people went contrary to it, you wouldn't be happy about it. And so because of that, you are trying to force it down on people. And even when you do that, people are not going to truly, you know, subscribe to you, but they're only going to do that because they are doing it out of fear. But when you look at the worldview that um, we belong to as Christians, even God did not push down uh, salvation down our throats, right? He gave us the free choice to whether accept it or reject it, even though he knows that that is the best thing for human beings. Um, he has made us free creatures and then he, he has given us the choice to choose or reject it, to either uh, accept or reject the gift that he's given to us. And so if God is even doing that, then why would human beings try to, you know, mandate a certain um, worldview? And because whenever human beings try to do things, we tend to create problems. It is going to create more problems than you know, solutions. Because once every time you try to mandate people to do something, people will rise up and try and do the opposite. You know, let me, right now we are in uh, a period where certain countries are trying to uh, mandate COVID vaccines. Now, I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying that vaccines are bad or good. I'm not even going to get into that conversation or whether uh, whether vaccine mandates are a good thing or not. But you see that where countries 
you know, or uh, in societies where they are trying to mandate vaccines, there's been so much uh, re- rebellion against such mandates. I think that's in the nature of human beings to always sort of rebel against mandates, whether they be good or bad. All right, I can make your submissions as well if you want to. Okay, well, I'm thinking that um, it's not likely that we will all have the same worldview. I mean, at each point in time, even even among children brought up by the same parents, maybe they have, they went to the same schools, the same communities, um, the same religion, whatever. They would still have different views about um, certain certain things. But then I think that doesn't derogate from the fact that there is, I don't want to say there is a certain truth. I mean, even the fact that you have said, I mean, if you say that there is no truth, it's a statement you have made that there's nothing like truth. There's nothing like truth. It's a statement somebody has made, believing firmly in that statement, thinking that that statement is true. So I, I know, right? <laughs> so the, the whole idea that then there's a truth. And so no matter how, I mean, we may be different and how we can have different perspectives and all of that, as much as possible, it, it's true. We will have different perspectives, not to waste about that. But whatever it is, we must understand that there's a certain... I, I, I don't want to go back to the word truth because we've had a whole conversation about that, but there's a certain um, standard or reality of things that we are probably not looking at or we probably have to try and align to, even though we may be thinking differently. So yes, ideally, if maybe the world hadn't started the way it did and all the other may if things didn't happen, we probably may have had very, very similar similar worldviews but that's why um, we said now we see darkly but then we shall see face to face so then all those things and things will not be there and we would see clearly so yes we cannot at this point on earth with where we are have the same worldview and we cannot force everyone to have the same worldview but then it would be good if we had a similar worldview which worldview would have then been the truth thank you uh, do you know one interesting thing about Arabic submission? You realize that, I mean, okay, from the get-go, I think um, Arabic has already admitted that you cannot read ourselves of bias <laughs> because mm. <laughs> we realize that all our submissions, or let's say, you know, Arabic submissions are all constrained in a particular worldview because, I mean, some other person will not even um, side with you on the Adam and Eve thing, right? So it gets interesting over here. So I think... Um, <laughs> I think I, I just wanted I wanted us to establish whether there's legitimacy in our question in the first place, whether the whole thing about competing ideas and by extension competing worldviews and extending a little more further, competing echo chambers is legitimate. And it's like by default, we would start competing, right? Like there, there, there are no two ways about it, right? So um like yeah, come I want to say some thoughts. No, 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 I'm okay. Yeah, so now let's now that you've come to agree that it's it's a default thing. There there's no running away from the fact that our ideas will um would there will be will come to um points of contention. Now we can let's start off with um what I'll call a concrete approach and then we come to uh, maybe a little more abstract thinking. So um, anyone from personal experience, how have you come to some, have you experienced any tight contention with someone in a particular thought? And how were you able to resolve it? Yeah. Come back and start from us. Sam, if you are here, you can yeah. also chime in. Yeah, I can I can hear you. Okay, okay. Then Kwampa when you're done, Sam can also make his submission. Okay. Please come with the question again. So we want to start off with, I mean, we, we've established that the whole thing of engaging competing ideas is legitimate right i mean by default ideas compete worldviews compete and by extension different ecosystems will end up competing so i want us to start off with a more concrete approach your personal experience whether you've had to deal with serious tension on on a particular topic against another worldview i mean personally i can come in then i'll kind of brief him for him to be as far as us okay um all right well i've had um, an incident where I engaged with someone with a competing worldview. I've been trying to recall some of them and how we finally resolved the issues. I think what I recall was one time when I think one of my 
uh, somebody that taught me, so he was my teacher. And from the way he spoke in class and all that, I realized that he, he didn't believe in the idea that, I mean, there was anyone called Jesus who ever lived in the first place. So, I mean, I engaged him on it. And interestingly, this person is, I mean, his father is a pastor, his brother is a pastor, but he believes that, I mean, Christianity is a creation of the white man and it's just a way to milk the black man and, I mean, all that. I think we had an extensive discussion on it, but for me, because probably of, because he was my teacher, the um, conversation was more, okay, sir, but can you consider this as well? So it was more of, I was able to put across my thoughts and what I felt showed that there was somebody called Jesus, but we didn't really have that conclusion where he said, okay, I agree with, with you. It was more of, well, I've heard you, but I still don't agree. And that was, that was it for, I mean, that, that experience that I had. So, um, so for me, that was a clear competing worldview or somebody who had a totally different perspective from where I was coming from. And this was it for me. It was somebody that wasn't ready to admit that he probably was biased. Well, maybe I also wasn't ready to admit that I was biased, but I, I felt that I, I put my case across pretty well to evoke some questions in his mind. So in, in a way, sometimes you'd engage with someone and the, the conclusion would not be that the person comes across to your, your side of the river, but the person says, I've heard you, but I, I still want to stay at my, I want to stay at my end. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard you, but I want to stay at my end. So some by way of recap, we are trying to look at how to engage competing ideas. We started off with the concept of a worldview and we understood that basically everyone comes with a worldview and by extension, the whole idea of an echo chamber, right? Um, an echo chamber is basically, to a greater degree, made up of people with specific worldview. That is, they look at the world through specific lens. And we try to establish whether it's even legitimate to consider a question of whether there are competing ideas or there are competing worldviews. And I think from our conversation, we established that indeed these ideas come up. I mean, we can, there's no running away from it. They are, these ideas compete. I mean, as long as they are different and they border on the same subject matter, they will end up competing. So we've kind of established that as well. And want to come from a concrete point before we delve into some abstract thinking over here. So if you've had any strong contention with anyone about um, worldview issues, yeah, you can share with us and we take it from there. Okay. Yeah, uh, for me, almost every day I always have um, such confrontations, even at wait, work. Wait, wait even let today. Me get, let me get it clear. Are you the provocator over here? Because if you always no, don't have it there. No, 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 no. Actually, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm the on the opposite side. Um, I'm, I'm always on the opposite side. When I, most of the confrontations, okay, for me personally, for me personally, initially, that's like, let me say, uh, eight years ago, I was really into this type of discussions. But I don't know of late, I'm becoming lazy when it comes to such confrontations. I don't know whether it is <laughs> spiritual dullness or what, but... Whenever I'm faced with such um, situations, I always try to look at the person in question, an issue of ignorance or an issue of pride and stubbornness. That is mostly how I like to um, address these issues. Some people are just purely ignorant and are misinformed. You get it? Some people too, even though they are misinformed, but their pride and the naughtiness of their heart as Araba gave an instance, is what's going to... So, mostly I try to look at the person in question. If I realize that this person is somebody who is having a haughty spirit or who is has a, what James calls um, filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness in the heart, I most often than not ignore such confrontations. I either just nod in smiles and I just shake my head as though I'm agreeing with the person. Or I just... If maybe it's in a group conversations... I pretend as though I've no head. As I said, I don't know whether it is spiritual laziness or... <laughs> but there are times that people would approach me with these issues because they want to learn. Let's take um, campus um, story about the birthday. I was, I'm really interested in knowing... I was not hearing him clearly. 
Because I know that Muslims, those that belong to the Jehovah Witness sect, that do not celebrate birthdays. And when I asked the friend, she was like, the only two or the only two or three birthdays in the Bible ended up in a bad way. And I think Krampa did not add um, Esther, the King Hazarus, when he was having his birthday party, which lasted for, I think, 120 days. If I would have said it when I grew up, I want to be like him. <laughs> but he mentioned something about Job and I think Jeremiah, I was not sure. I was really interested in what he had to say. So if somebody comes to me with this, maybe somebody was just passing by and he heard somebody say something like this, and maybe he comes to me that, what do I think about this opinion? I will be really interested in sitting down to explain or to peruse each um, example that person gives. For example, I heard him saying something about Job. Job cursing the day he was born. If somebody came to me with this, you need to know the context we are talking about. You need to know what happened for Job to curse the day he was born. So I don't know how that can be a legitimate reason not to celebrate birthday. And since we are talking about worldview, what do you mean by celebrating your birthday in the first place? Because for some people, celebration is going out with friends, drinking, eating, dancing. Some people celebrating is being indoors with family, um, maybe having a meal and watching a football match. So I, I need to know all these parameters before... And as you said, I think last week, that whenever you're having such debates, we must always define our terms. When we say celebrating, what do you have in mind? Do you have um, 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 King Hazarus type of view that I come to do a 120, 120 days birthday party or what? So if people are coming like this with genuine desire to know my opinion or to know what the word of God has to say, I would engage in such people. In fact, I, I am looking for more of such people to learn because interestingly, they say a lot of things like as grandpa was saying about, I want to know whether it was Jeremiah. I'm really into, but I've not heard that one before. It really sharpens me up. It really makes me learn. It really challenges me to also go back and do more Berea kind of study. But then as I started reading about Jesus, and I realized that many people ask questions not because they want to know. In fact, there was a, in fact, I think one day you said that we look at how Jesus addressed people that came to approach him. And thank God for the Bible. Many a times when the Pharisees and the scribes were coming to ask Jesus a question, there's mostly... A verse that starts with like, and they seeking to tempt Jesus, they asked him, should we pay taxes? They seeking to tempt Jesus, they asked him, if a man had a wife and he died and his serving brother. So you would realize that the motive of their question was not because they wanted to learn. So if I'm seeing somebody like this who is coming to me and, and by the grace of God, I'm able to discern by the spirit or by experience by interacting with people that this person is not coming to learn, but this person is coming with a naughty and a haughty spirit, I would hardly ever engage such a, such such discussions. Because Paul says that actually we should flee away from such useless and vain arguments. So me in particular, I don't know, I just don't have the energy to engage in these things. But sometimes I notice that I may get an extra burden for this person. Because even though this person may be arrogant in a particular stance, his arrogance can be purely due to serious misinformation or the echo chamber he was brought in right from birth. This is somebody who believes that there is no birth. And his idea was that since he was a child, that's what his parents told him, his community told him, his community of believers or religious sects told him. And I read that this person is purely ignorant. I may have the burden or God may give me the burden. Then I would want to start with prayers. So I have people that I'm constantly praying for. Then I'm believing, maybe I may not be the one, but Paul said that um, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God that gives the increase. So maybe to that person, my job may to just pray to prepare that person's heart for somebody else who may do the planting or the watering. Another time, somebody would come to me, even though he may be haughty, if I'm able to discern that I am the one supposed to do the watering, I will take the, the extra step to Try and just at least throw some seeds. As Araba said, she was just um, giving snippets of questions just to maybe trigger the teacher's mind. If I sense that I'm supposed to do such things, maybe the person brings a view, let's say about Job. Job cares the day he was born. I may not have an extensive discussion, but I may ask that 
what was the situation in which Job cursed the day he was born? And then I may go a step further by saying that not everything that is in the Bible has been prescribed for us to do. Some things, especially in the Old Testament, were describing things. So the fact that, let's say, David married five, the Bible is just telling us what David did. The Bible is not saying that we can also do the same. So I may start putting or start sowing such seeds. And if this person is somebody who is genuine, he may receive, not he may, he will receive this seed because it's going to fall on a good soil. And then it may trigger the person's interest to either study more or ask questions more or come to me more. Because I've also heard some statements that have really triggered my curiosity. And it really makes me to go and study because I'm hoping and I'm believing God that my heart is a good heart. So I'm also looking at the same. So for me, these are the two broad ways I, I deal with people that confront me with challenging or opposite worldviews. Yeah. Compa, is it better now? You may want to... Yeah. All right, sure. Uh, uh, we know when someone was speaking, I was on the side that hey, is, is he now a philosopher? You know, asking questions like, "What do you mean by celebrate?" <laughs> you know, you know. Is it? Um, come on, you. I'll make you. Um, you'll continue your submission. But I think it's a very, very, very uh, great thing to do because at the end of the day, yeah. by communication, we should make sure that we are on the same. I don't know if wavelength is the right term to use because if yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm using. I'm using a particular word and it's not clearly defined. And the person it means differently to the other person. You realize that we can go around in circles so you know make any significance. So I mean at yeah. the, I, I'm trying to avoid this whole philosophical thing that normally comes <laughs> into conversation, but it looks like we cannot run away from it. Yeah, come back and make your submission. Okay, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. But be, before that, before that, yeah, not that I've been philosophical though. If the person comes to me to have a conversation like a lengthy conversation, then I may go like, what do you mean by celebrate? But if it's just mm. a passing comment or just a passing discussion that I know we will not have the time to exhaust the discussion, I I, I just, I won't bother to my ask myself um, or to ask the person what you mean by celebrate. Just, mm. just because I remember, for example, um, like Christmas, I tell people mm. I'm going to enjoy my Christmas, <laughs> but I know very well that what I mean by I'm going to enjoy my Christmas is totally opposite of what they think that I'm coming to enjoy their Christmas. So it's mm. important because just today, a colleague was having a birthday party. And throughout the whole week, I've been hyping the birthday at work. Hey, people were thinking I'm... So I just went, people were thinking I'm coming to do... I don't know what they were thinking I was coming to do. But when I went, I did my own enjoyment and everyone's like ah so all the noise i've been making you know, this is what you, i said this is my enjoyment so i think it's really important especially as okran said if you don't want to go about in circles because we may end up arguing two and four twelve just to come to the yeah. conclusion that so some people to mean um celebrate it means they don't even recognize that's what they mean by celebrate they don't recognize that it's a, it's a day worth taking note of. Yeah. That's what yeah. to them celebrate means. So for yeah. them, if they do anything beyond their normal day's routine, they are celebrating it. So I don't know whether that to me will qualify to cel- as, cel- as me celebrating my birthday. So yeah, that's just by the way. But okay, I'm interested yeah. in what you said about Jeremiah. So please repeat <laughs> the Jeremiah and the Job. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in that. Okay, sure, sure. So you can find the Jeremiah. I was checking the reference while you were speaking. The Jeremiah one is in Jeremiah 20. When we read from verse 7 downwards, and Jeremiah was lamenting about his ministry, how he has been preaching, and then, you know, they were making fun of him, and, like, he has lost all his friends, his family. He didn't have anything. He didn't have anybody. He said, like, he was pretty miserable at that time. And then he went on to, you know, say, curse be the day that he was born. I think quoting verbatim from Job 3 verse 3. As Joe also said, uh-huh. so those were the two main things that uh, he brought up saying that, oh, these were righteous men and then that's what they did. And then um, when you look at Pharaoh and then Herod, so he gave those two examples. And so but I was like, OK, so are you saying that we should follow the example of, you know, Jeremiah and Job? Because they were, because, because they were suffering. That is why, you know, they were um, cursing the days that they were born. Because if you look at somebody like Job, that his children were throwing parties every other day, you know, Definitely, even though the Bible didn't mention it, I'm pretty sure that maybe on their birthday they would have definitely thrown a party because these guys were throwing a party every other day in each other's house. 
And so definitely one day they would have thrown the party in, you know, for, for their birthdays. Uh-huh. And so clearly you could see, I, I could see that um, it was, it's just an agenda that is trying to, you know, uh, put across and then it's not really something which is substantial. I think that as uh, some has already said, celebrate also means different because, for instance, you know, for me, if it's my birthday, the way that people would, you know, celebrate, maybe they would go out and, you know, all over the place. That's not how I would celebrate my birthday. Uh-huh. I would be more, you know, reserved indoors, probably with my family and all of that. And so in that in and itself, it's not, I don't think that that's a bad thing um, to say. And like, if you're wishing somebody happy birthday, you know, he went on to say that, you know, we shouldn't wish happy birthday, all of that. I was like, it's crazy. It doesn't even make any sense. Why not? Like, it's not causing any harm. And so that was why I was trying to engage him. But then I think some also made a point about some people who are not really ready to learn, but they just want to, you know, they're argumentative by nature. They just want to, you know, just argue and then just talk. You know, sometimes some of those things are good. They help you to, you know, when you get somebody who's really engaging in what you are saying, it helps you to learn. You learn something from the person. You also, you know, um, also learn some things about your own, you know, um, belief system or worldview because there are some questions that you might never really ask yourself but then when somebody asks you, it's like oh okay i've never really thought about this before and like you go back and then you go and read around it and then do some research and find out what you know your worldview says about it so sometimes some of these engagements are good it helps you opens you up to your own you know um assumptions and you know things that you've already assumed about your worldview that you've not really questioned and i um, thought about but sometimes to some people are really not interested in learning or anything they just come and then they just want to argue they just want to argue and you know talk and all of that and you know it's not it's all unnecessary it doesn't lead anywhere and so i think that with the person i kind of realized that along the way that you know, this person wasn't really ready to you know listen to anything i was saying but he was just you know interested in just arguing and putting out his point and not engaging at all with anything that i was saying and then once i realized something like that there's really no point in going along that line you're not going to get any fruit from that and so i just let it go um yeah yeah you've made it so let me bring a quote up i mean i was looking it up by one george mcdonald um hope these days online quotes sometimes they attribute to people and it's not them but i mean let the i'll let the quotes flow anyways it says to give truth to him who laughs it not is but to give him more plentiful material for misinterpretation let me take it again to give truth to him who laughs it not is but to give him more plentiful material for misinterpretation i mean i was i'm picking up a, a few points from um araba um how araba went about it and also listening to the submissions that you, before i come to my concrete example listen to your submission i gleaned from we i came across a term i mean it's called the socratic method has anyone heard of the socratic method or probably re- read about it um personally no. no okay so araba have you i mean no. you are a learned Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, a little colleague, uh, a little colleague, because uh, I mean, so maybe after this, I want to read a little more about the Socratic yeah. method. Generally, so the Socratic method is about, roughly speaking, I might blunder it one way or the other, but roughly speaking, it's about instead of providing answers, you rather <laughs> ask questions. So I realized that all of us have been applying the Socratic method even without knowing, because from my glean from Arabic's um, submission that you don't necessarily, I mean, you know, um, you have your points, right? But in a conversation, you try to not, um, you try to drive the conversation by not giving answers, but rather poking, um, asking questions and poking into that person's worldview. And also, I mean, so when they kind of clarify and maybe you get to a point, you're like, uh, they get to an aha moment where they're like, no. I didn't even, I've not even thought about it that way. But when they get to that point, and if the person has a haughty spirit, and they are they have so much of an entrenched position where these are people who are not who that who don't love truth in the first place, then you realize that they are just going to misinterpret. So this this Socratic method and this approach, we might I will come back to it, but let me make my submission. You know, um, this one was uh, my uh, a very a, a family, I mean a relative, right? And the contention was about whether Muslims are saved or not. <laughs> and this person is a Christian, right? I mean, on face value, you'd be like, 
this is not even a question for debate, or this is not even a question that a Christian should be double-minded about, right? But let me lay a certain foundation for you to appreciate um, why such a thought is even tenable, right? First of all, this person was looking at the supposed number of Muslims we have all over the world, right? And the mere thought of these, um, if I'm not wrong, billions of people, right, who subscribe to the Islamic faith. I mean, according to Christianity, it is in only Jesus Christ that we have salvation. And the mere idea that these two billion people or billions of people are going to perish because they don't know Jesus Christ. So the person is not even coming from the background. It was not coming from the, the, the background of what the Bible teaches or what Christian theology or Christian understanding says, but it was coming from a, a place of just merely looking at all these people and he couldn't just come to accept that these people are all going to perish. I mean, we the, if I mean the, the, the conversation was pretty intense. It was pretty, pretty, it was, it was very intense. I just couldn't believe it, but like, yeah, it was what it was. And this person, so after, I mean, listening to him, uh, that was the background it was coming from. And to a certain, I mean, it got to a point where there was a mosque close by. And he says, if that is the case, then let me just go to the mosque and start <laughs> preaching to all of them because I'm claiming that they are going to perish because they've not received Jesus Christ. So that was, this something that, um, I mean, in my mind, I was like, I mean, the, there's no debate about this from Christian understanding. But you see um, where um, such a place, I mean, such, such a thing could even become a topic in the first place for him. Because that's one thing, that, that's one point. And that's the personal experience that I had. And it was pretty intense. It was pretty, pretty intense. Instead of maybe developing a, a heart of, uh, let's say, um, a heart that weeps for them, and wanting to probably intercede more for them, right? The person rather conceived the idea that, no, I mean, it's never possible for all these people to perish. So you get the drift and how some of these things happen, right? Anyone want to maybe make some submissions, take it off and we explore? Because so far, I mean, we've yeah. already outlined... Okay, come back and go. Yeah, sure. I just wanted to say something. I mean... So with, with, some, with something like that, with the Muslim thing, you know, there's, a, there's a saying that you put your money where your mouth is. If you really truly believe that they cannot perish, why don't you also convert and then go be a Muslim? <laughs> is it, I think that that would have been one angle. That would, that, that's one question that I might have asked the person to see where their mind is at. Because I think if you truly, if that's what you truly, truly believe, that you look at this number of people, yeah, okay, it's not possible, like it's not possible for all these people to perish by their sheer numbers. Then go and join them because you know that they cannot perish as well. I don't know that that's what I think. Yeah, you know, it was even oh. coming. Okay, uh, some you after this you can go. Oh no, no, I mean, okay, even, okay, please talk. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was from from the conversation, it seems to me it was coming from a deep concern for them, which was kind of misappropriated, right? That's what I was mm-hmm. trying to say. That instead of this, right now, I mean causing him to have maybe go down and knees and rather intensify prayers and intercession for them. I don't know whether I was looking for an easy way out, but that's how the conversation actually because I mean especially if you have very sweet and very lovely Muslim friends around you, colleagues and all that. Yeah. Sometimes I mean that that kind of is a compassion and misappropriate. I don't know whether to call it compassion, but I mean a compassion that doesn't lead you to um, prayer for such a thing. I don't know what to call it. Yeah, but that was what happened. Yeah, Sam, you can go if yeah. Okay, but before that, the the quote you give, I think there's a, a scripture that has the same idea. Um, from Proverbs chapter twenty six verses four and five. Proverbs twenty six verses four and five. It says, "Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. But answer a fool according to his folly." Least he be wise in his own eyes. So this one, our listeners can go and peruse the verse on their own. Proverbs 26, verse 4 and 5. It's it's kind of saying the same or the opposite things in one verse. So this one is a seller. So yes, now back to the Muslim um, issue. I have, let's say, three points about it. The first one is that, um, you know, I don't know if anybody has been a culprit, but I know I've been a culprit. Sometimes when you see a nice lady engaged in prostitution or engaged in a very unhealthy lifestyle, you have, in quote, compassion for the person. 
But if you see someone in your eyes or your eyes are telling you that the person is not beautiful or the person is not pretty, you don't seem to have any, in quote, compassion upon the person. It's like, oh, this nice girl, pal, you are doing this. But if the person was not, in quote, a nice girl, like, oh, you would walk past the person without having pity for the person. So I think that's what your friend is just exhibiting. The second thing is that because we are in Ghana, the word Christian has a, has it means different things to different people. His Christianity might be because from how he was introduced that Jesus is one of the ways, or um, it's not really about believing in Jesus that gets you saved, but it's about living a good life that gets you saved. So we need to know his idea of Christianity and how one, in quotes, goes into heaven. But then the main thing I think is that I think because he's a Ghanaian, in a general sense, that's why it's feeling like this. Because generally, Ghanaians are really emotional and relational beings. Ghanaians, we mostly relate with things based on emotions and based on relationship. That is why it is very normal in an African or in a Ghanaian setting that when somebody sets up a business, it's most likely that it is his child or his daughter who is going to be in the business. It's mostly like, who's going to take over the business. It's mostly likely that when you go, the HR will be a cousin or a nephew. The what general manager will be a niece. Because generally we relate with people or we relate with circumstances based on emotions and based on relations. But if you go to Europe, and this is not in a generic sense, so not being specific, they are kind of professionals. If this is what you are supposed to do, this is what you are supposed to do. So it may be in a football club, the rule is um, do not come for training late. And your mercy comes for training late. It's irrespective of the person who is coming. The law is the law. So professionalism generally in Europe is at its peak because they follow the, the letter of the law irrespective of who is coming. But we always want to look at who is coming. So if the person is a close friend or a close relative, then we want to bend the rules for the person. But if the person, you don't know the person from Adam, you are really strict in applying the rules. So the person is just being emotional, just being relation, um, because of maybe the person knows somebody. But clearly, Jesus said that just as in the days of Noah, so will it be. And the rule is simple. Those who entered the ark were saved. And those who were outside the ark were not saved. It's as simple as that. Either you are in the ark or you are not in the ark. You can't say, oh, maybe you didn't hear the news. Or brother Noah came to your door for just one day. So God cannot let the whole world perish. God has given us a precedent. He destroyed the whole world. He has done it before. And he saved the man. And it's even interesting that the other four people that entered the ark with Noah, they may not have really believed Noah. That is, I think, Noah's children and their in-laws. They may not have really believed Noah. But just because the old man, they had pity on the old man. He was building the ark. Actually, let's just go with him. After all, what, is, what can happen? If you're in the ark and the rain doesn't come, you'll just be there after 10 days, you'll come out. But whether or not they really believed or they, even, they didn't even hear God for themselves, but as long as they were in the ark, they were saved. And God has destroyed the whole world before. So... If this person is someone who believes in the word of God as the standard, as the truth, as the real thing, as the reality, I don't think you should have a problem with this. But you know, it's like just to it's like when you go to work, Ghanaian bosses like doing that. So for me in particular, my brother always says that when he's going for a company, he was going to a company, he was going to work for somebody, and the person quotes scripture. Especially when it comes to payment, he doesn't want to work for the person. Because in his opinion, such people are very, very manipulative. When it's time for them to pay you, they start quoting scripture that, oh, this, oh, this, this. But when it's time for them to demand their work that they are paying you for, it's as though they don't know you from anywhere. So my brother in particular is really, really particular about bosses or people that are coming and are quoting, quoting, he says those who they are manipulative, but they want to get on your soft spot. Then maybe you charge them less. But then when you see the quantum of work they'll be bringing to you and the demand they'll bring, nobody will tell you that you have made a big mistake. So I should just think that we should stick to the word. Do not be emotional about it. So I think Araba will be in the best place. As a lawyer, if the person has broken the law, he has broken the law. Unless you are saying we should temper judgment with mercy. That one, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my submission. 
Yeah, that's a great one. How about with you when they come in, all the stuff that you've been talking about? Before I work out, just something that the first point that Sam made, no, about um, you know, when you see if a nice girl who's wasting away their lives, you feel some compassion. But if the girl is not like so and what's going on there? Like what's happening? I don't understand. Because I think that I agree. Maybe if I look at my own life, I mean I might I might have done something like that. So what's happening there? How do we prevent oh. It is it is our last that we are polishing. We are we have polished our last or we have given our last a white suit. No, that, that that's the truth. The only reason why you're feeling pity for the person, or you are feeling sad for the person, is because your eyes is telling you the person is beautiful. You are wow. lasting after the person. Wow. But the thing is that because maybe we are spiritual, we don't want to use the word we are lasting. So we are compassionate. But it's true. In the same, another lady can be in the same suit, and you walk past the lady. And it's like, you have not even seen that a lady is misbehaving. It's true. And we say, hey, how has the beauty got to do? So I just think that it's our last or our our flesh that we are just giving our flesh. We are putting makeup on our flesh. That's my opinion. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only canal brother over here. So please, the spiritual brothers, Ukraine and Krampa, I don't know if I've done that before, but for me, it was my flesh was misbehaving. But at least I'm able to identify that, hey, the flesh, that just had, you know, if the person is fooling, the person is fooling, regardless of beauty. <laughs> and sometimes, yeah. funny, yeah. sometimes you want to have compassionate and go and preach to the person. It's not because you are you are really desirous of the person's soul coming to Christ. Charlie, it's your flesh that you are just trying to, you know, manage it, but mercy upon us. But please, okay. this canal brother. Asam, <laughs> spiritual brother, Oka the crown for I don't know about you. <laughs> that's just my doing. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I have lots of canality that I'm paging one by one, and the Lord's mercy is available. Mercy. So let me not try and let you. Amen. How do you want to carry? I mean, all that the back and forth on um some of these um topical issues that we normally face in our conversation. Then we will try and also glean from. Um, how from what you said, we will try and give general overview or general approaches that we think would work for us, independent of particular scenarios, right? So, um, before that, everybody you can first of all, the back and forth that you'll be doing, if you have any thoughts you want to chime in, yeah, yeah, I think that even apart from the example about a nice lady who is engaged in prostitution and all that, when you you meet somebody who is in maybe a different religion, let's take this Muslim Christian thing, and the person is really nice, like a nice, not nice as in physically, but I mean morally and in every other way, the person is very committed to whatever their religion they are in. They are nice people. They try to be just. And you are wondering, okay, so, I mean, are these people also, I mean, if they are going by what the Bible says, and these people are also supposed to be going to hell. So that's, even then, that difficulty also comes in. And we try to find ways and means where we think God should be considering and all that. But um, I think someone was also saying something about the law. Well, yeah, the law is the law. So um, usually the only, the in I mean in our, our part of on earth here and with the, the court system, the only difference would come in and the only favor that you may get is if the judge re- gives you a reduced sentence. So there's a range on two, to five years. And you're a nice person. They can say, okay, let's do it two years. That's the minimum. But eventually you still get sentenced. But I mean, for eternity, there's nothing like a minimum sentence and a high sentence. It's basically the same thing. Yeah. Have I missed something? Oh, that's fine. So, um, one. So, I mean, from we yeah, are we actually um giving several approaches. So, one thing that it's key. I think we've all <laughs> identified that having first of all, we should. I mean, for us to even engage competing ideas, first of all, we should have first establish right that the person is interested in knowing the truth and also for us we should also be willing to know the truth i think from the very onset very first conversation some pointed the fact that humility is very key you know this back and forth i mean in in, in approaching 
exiting our echo chamber, being in the world and of the world. Because that's one thing that's also I've actually gleaned from our conversation so far. And many one can say what have we kind of extracted from our various submissions on how to approach um and how to engage competing ideas. Uh, anyone who is ready can take yeah. Uh, okay, hello. Yeah, Pampa. Uh, yeah. So I uh, I think that for one thing um in engaging competing, one thing I'm taking up is um being open to learn. Um because sometimes from how we are discussing, you may not have all the answers to the questions. So when you're in a conversation with somebody, you know, things are going to come up that you probably have never thought about. And so, you know, as Sam said, he said he likes conversations where, you know, it sharpens him, it causes him to, you know, go back and then go and search like, okay, this one will help him learn and know more. And so in engaging, you know, um, in competing ideas, I think that one, one thing that we should always keep in mind is that we should be prepared to, you know, learn something and just listen to what people are saying because somebody might ask a question that you've never thought about and so that would also you know push you to go and study more and then um learn more i think that that really helps that really builds you sharpens you and then it makes you better yeah yeah um some um yeah okay um i was because of the my in my beginning i was i didn't really hear arabia's full um introduction but I think she made mention of something about the glasses you are looking. So if your glasses are tinted green, it would affect what how you what color you would see. And as if I heard her correctly, I think I heard a story that that's what those who sell in boutiques they do. I don't know whether it's true or the person was throwing sand in my eyes, but he said I mostly go to boutiques. Their shop is really dark and they put some violet or some dim light over there. So that when you pick a particular shirt or a particular shoe uh, or the product they are selling, you would think it's nice. But you step out of the shop and sometimes you may not check. So until you get home, then you open it in broad daylight and you realize that ah, the thing I saw in the shop is very different. Um, I, if I had, I think she just reminded me that this, this is really, really true. Sometimes it's very good that we take a step back and try and look at the lens in which um, the person is making a statement or the person's worldview has been affected so that we will approach it from that person's um, um, view. I think that's what Jesus did. That is why in, in coming up with a salvation issue, he decided to become man, to get man's experience of what man is going through. That's why he qualifies to be our high priest, because he can sympathize. The NIV says he can empathize with us. He doesn't just know it, but he has experienced it. That is why he qualifies to tell the father when we are weak, that, oh, brother, Sam is weak, father, supply him grace. And I think in that same light, we as, in quotes, mini high priest should be able to look at, the, or should be able to perceive the lens people are looking at life with and try and address it from their point of view. And I think that's what Paul also did when he was preaching, I think, in um, Athens, if I'm correct, about Diana. The, um, in Ephesus, I think Ephesus rather, about when you realize how religious these people were, how inclined to powers and superstitions, and he addressed it from their angle. And he gave the famous quotes that, as one of your poets have said, in whom in him we have lived and moved and have our being. This to chip in this many people think that that thing is scripture. It was not scripture, scripture. Paul was quoting a statement from their poets or from their religion or from their view of life. And he used their view of life to open the caveats into introducing Jesus. And I think we should also learn from that. We mostly so they say you start from the known to the unknown. Obviously, in their view of life, they may be a particular sub view that we can hinge on to launch our new view. So yes, that's what I have learned from this. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, from all that you've discussed so far, I think we need um, another because I think we've gone a little, we've done a little broad. Um, navigation on this topic and we would, our next episode would be, should I say, a part two of this where we try and drill a little deeper because I think this um, 
this platform is a very core, um, I, I mean, at a very fundamental level, this is basically how to equip ourselves, I mean, to do evangelism, right? What's, I think this, this, this discussion at the moment is kind of focused on that. So uh, we, we will drill a little deeper, even in our subsequent, um, what do you call it, conversations as well, and see where the Lord will lead us. Uh, I think our has been on and off that. So, I mean, that's what one thing that, so, so far we've, we've looked at the compassion. Um, one thing that we all can agree on is if we are trying to compete ideas, right, we should be gen- genuinely concerned about the person. The person, because I mean, at the end of the day, if it's you just, I mean, look at it in terms of mere arguments and just mere discussion, you we lose a lot, and that's one thing that I've also learned from this. I mean, our discussion today, we would we have a lot more points even on this this topic, how to engage competing ideas. Our subsequent um, our subsequent deliberations, we would. Our subsequent meetings, we'll be able to explore it a little more. So at this moment, just to wrap up, let's uh, make our final submissions for this phase and also continue this 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 conversation, God willing, next week. I mean, on how to engage competing ideas. So, okay, hello, Araba. Um, can you share your final thoughts with us? Um, yeah. All right. So it has been an interesting conversation on dealing with competing ideas. I think that um, one thing that I'm taking off from our conversation is that um, usually you have to know why the person is asking you what they are asking. Is the person really hungry to learn? Are they interested in what you have to say or they are just, you know, trying to test you like Jesus was often um, tempted by the questions of the Pharisees and all that. You'd have to know why the person is asking. And based on where the person is coming from, you can really know how to approach them and then help them. But then I also learned from, I mean, our conversation that either ways, whether the person is just trying to trap you or whatever, it helps to broaden your knowledge. It makes you begin to, I mean, it causes you to think now, okay, so I never thought this about my worldview. Maybe I have to look at this again, question why I believe what I believe and maybe come back stronger next time. So you still learn from the experience anyway, and that helps you to come out better. Thank you. So it's it's been a great conversation. I think I'm taking a lot from, from our discussions. Yeah, thank you for your submission, Araba. You can give us a final thought for today, and yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so at least before I give my final thought, I don't know if we have time for this, or maybe we'll push it to the next meeting. I wanted to ask a question about um, in engaging competing ideas, have you, have any of us ever come across um, like somebody, a statement or something that somebody said that really, really caused you to begin to think about your own worldview in a way that you're like, this person really has a point. Maybe what I believe is not really the truth anymore. It's like, it's really caused you to question what you believe. Yeah, I think uh, we can um, uh, um, begin uh, next week's um, conversation on this same topic with this question, right? Because we've considered one part of it. So I think, yeah, it's a good question too. Let's just okay. write it, note it down, yeah, so that we begin with it. Okay, all right, all right, sure, okay, okay. Yeah, so uh, my final thoughts, yeah, I think that, as we uh, said earlier, by virtue of the fact that there are different worldviews, they are already competing, in a sense, because, you know, some, some worldviews um, are in direct opposition or they have conflicting ideas, and so already we are already in a market space where we are competing um, with, with other worldviews. And so one thing that I, I a submission I made earlier was that the worldview also shapes, you know, how you live your life. And when Sam was speaking, it was like, I don't know if his brother says that when he's going to work for somebody and the person is quoting scriptures, because he knows that this person, you know, has some sort of agenda trying to do that, trying to be manipulative and all of that. And so if, you know, the worldview of who quote scriptures when in workplaces is that you know, that they, they try to, they have a certain agenda in doing that, then it clearly affects the power of that worldview to sell to somebody who doesn't believe it, right? And so definitely, um, because every worldview will model how somebody somebody should live their life, we should always, you know, be careful as to how we live our lives because it, it affects how people would assimilate or accept our worldview to affect how people would be willing to engage with us and then, you know, try and see the truth or the value or 
um, the importance in what we are saying or how our worldview is the right one or is the true one that they should subscribe to. I think that that's, that's the final thing I would say here. Yeah, Sam, have you given your final thoughts already? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've given, I thought that one was my final one, but as for me, I can always have something to say. Okay, you can add on. Uh, so if our work will join before we, we exit, but you can f- finish up. Okay. So I believe that as we are listening, we are all agreeing that they are competing um, worldviews over there. So I want to end with the advice Mr. Peter gave to us, I think First Peter 3 verse 15, where he says that sanctify the Lord your God in your heart and always be ready to make your defense to anybody who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. I think we Christians must appreciate that it's a battle of ideas. It's a battle of worldviews that we are in. Cannot afford to be passive in pursuing after the truth. It should be a daily obsession. And I'm just believing God that our obsession each day would not just be to make it in life. And I know when we say make it in life, many of us are thinking of becoming billionaires. That's most of us are definition of making it in life. But I'm hoping that one of our obsessions in life is to buy the truth and sell it not. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sam. Um, and kindly pardon me for uh, we've kind of extended the uh, duration as well. But I think we've had a very great time and we have so much to talk about so on this very particular topic so god willing you're gonna um we are going to continue um next week as well and start off from the um question Kampa left for this episode and we're believing god that you're gonna have a great time together um so um, let's have a word of prayer father we thank you for an awesome time that we've had and we are believing you to continue to be with us even as we drill deeper even into how to engage competing ideas trusting you that by your power and by your spirit by the wisdom from one high we'll be able to bring every thought and the subjection to christ that the glory of the lord will fill the whole world and the knowledge of god will fill the whole earth because you've made this able ministry in the mighty name of jesus we pray amen 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 we hope the conversation was an enlightening one Stick with us and keep listening to us as we delve deeper into the subject of exiting our echo chamber and truly learning how to be in the world, but not of the world, in the subsequent episodes. Thank you.